Are we ready? Today's class, um, my brain is a little wired today. Now, class is going to start off on a serious note, but the class, the whole class is not going to be, Bezat Hashem, not going to be a, a morbid or serious in that kind of way class. It should be a normal class. But today's class is dedicated anonymously. For the Fuashalama of my niece, that's Saraba Rachel Sharon Ishai, who is in very serious condition right now, lying in a bed in the ICU in Sloan Kettering. And the condition is very tough. And actually, just before I got here, <coughs> we got a call that it got worse. And then, if you saw me on the phone two minutes ago, we got a call that maybe there's some hope. So, like I said, standing here right now, we're a little mentally wired. It's my wife's sister's daughter. But my question for you to begin the class is obviously having gone to the hospital a few times the last few days and seeing my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law who we're very close with and this girl's husband, Sharon's husband, who they realized she was sick the night after the wedding. I think we said mentioned this. That means that they got married on a Sunday night. Monday night in the hotel is when they realized she needed to be rushed to the hospital and then quarantine. And this has been a two-year-plus very tough journey, and it's gotten a lot of tougher in the last month. So my question to begin the class is this. What's the mentality to have through this? What's the mentality that a family has through this? What's the mentality that my brother-in-law and sister-in-law sitting there in the hospital, what's the mentality that they have through this? And like I said, that's the whole morbid part of the class. I'm not going to sit and discuss this type of story in depth at all, or anything like this story in depth, because my question is really broader than just two people sitting in a hospital. My question is, a more broader question about what is the mentality of a Jew going through every day of their life. And I think the mentality we're going to create today and the characteristic that we're going to develop from this mentality is important for every single one of us in every single situation we're in. We begin with now, we've begun the book of Shemot. We haven't had classes in Shemot as the Jewish people were suffering in bondage in Egypt for 210 years. We did not have a class last year, last week in Parashat Va'era when we were introduced to seven of the plagues. Now we're in Parashat Bo, which gives us, brings us the last three of the plagues. And our parasha begins with what seems to be a very long introduction. The plagues in our mind are really ten in a row, but there seems to be a break in the action here. Where Hashem comes to Moshe Rabbeinu and says, go into Parah, and has an extra lengthy speech. Almost every plague had some sort of speech before, but this one seems to be longer and deeper. And there seems to be a twist that's happening in the narrative of this place, and that's what I want to identify this morning. Why this, why this long introduction to the last three plagues? And what does he say in that introduction? 
He says, here is my goal. Go tell Paro now his heart is hardened. His heart, the heart of his servants. In order, because I want to place these miracles within them. What does that mean now? I want to place these miracles within them. You've been placing the miracles. What does it mean, these miracles within them? And then he continues, he says, And my goal is then that you should tell your children and your grandchildren, how I played with Egypt. I toyed with the Egyptians. That's a very unique word, hitalati. I toyed with them. That doesn't seem to be a godly goal to toy with people. What does it mean that Hashem is toying with them? He's playing with them. Why is this the goal? So we're going to answer these questions, God willing, and like I said, create a mentality and then a characteristic to approach every area of your life. There are two ways to view the world. Either everything is random. Everything just happens. You wake up in the morning and you have no idea what's going to happen today or what's going to happen tomorrow. And stuff just happens. Or you believe that everything, everything comes together with Hashem. That by viewing and believing that Hashem is running the world, everything fits. I don't know how everything fits. I don't see how everything fits always. But everything always is placed there and belongs there. I'm very confident that everyone in this room believes the latter. Everyone in this room knows and believes in their heart that Hashem, everything comes from Him and everything is placed there by Him. But my goal in the class is to create a mentality that I'm not sure all of us have. Let me show you five letters. Five letters that depending on how they're placed, have completely different meanings. Those five letters are Mem, Yud, Aleph, Lamed, and He. Mem, Yud, Aleph, Lamed, and He spell out two words. Mi, Ele. Who are these? What are these? What is this? Who is this? It's a view of the world. Mi, Ele. Who are these people? Why are they in my life? Why am I dealing with them? Why am I frustrated by them? Why am I annoyed by them? Mi ele. Who are they? In essence, they're all a bunch of random people creating random events that I don't understand at all. But those same letters also spell one word that makes everything come together. Aleph, Lamed, He, Yud, Mem spells Elohim, God. Because you could either look at the world and say, what is this? Or you can look at the world and see everything as Him. Let me give you a very real and current and relevant example. So as you all know, on Sunday afternoon, a helicopter went down in L.A. And nine people died. Including one of the most famous basketball players in the world. And people were struck by it in a dramatic way, pretty much the whole country has had nothing else on the news for the past two or three days other than this ball player and his daughter being killed. 
And now there are a lot of rabbis who have said, why do we care? You shouldn't care. Why do you care? We don't even care enough about Gedolim or a terror attack in Israel. I'm going to be honest, I'm not one of those rabbis. If I'm going to be fully honest, when I heard about it, it bothered me too. I, I don't have a TV, I never watched him, but I've heard him and I've heard what he does and I've heard him talk and I've seen his things and it bothered me. It did. I felt bad. I really did. His daughter seemed like a good guy. It seemed like he was doing a nice thing. Nine people. It bothered me. And the truth is, the reason why it bothers people is not because they think he's a Gadol Hador. It just bothers people because when you see, a lot of the world has seen him a lot. And when you see someone a lot, you get to kind of know them. And when you kind of know them, you start to have a little feeling for them. It is what it is. Whether it's right or wrong is not so much my point. But then I was thinking about, this was such a powerful story across the country and really around the world. Is there a message in this story? And I think there is. The message is, or to me, one message that you get out of this, and it might not, it might, I don't want to sound insensitive in saying this message, but I don't mean it's a why, I, that's plenty why Hashem does this story. I think there's a message to take from this story. So about a hundred years ago, a ship was built. And the ship was built with a promise. This is the greatest ship that will ever sail in the sea. This ship is absolutely unsinkable. It is unsinkable. It was publicized. The greatest people in the world were on that ship because everybody knew this was the most famous and most powerful ship that would ever set sail and go in the ocean. On its first voyage... The ship hit an iceberg and sunk. And the ship, the name of the ship has become today synonymous with sinking and with vulnerability. The word Titanic, you say, I feel like I'm on the Titanic when I feel like I'm sinking. So that ship, that they made it sound like it was invincible, Hashem sends us a little message, nothing's invincible. There was a ball player who played baseball at a time when baseball was the number one sport in the country. He was a first baseman. He was known for how strong and how powerful he was. How well he endured. How nothing can phase this man. He had a record for playing thousands of games in a row. I don't know the numbers, so you know them. There you go, there you go. That's why you're here. <laughs> Over 2,140 2, games in a row. That's well over 10 years of 162, 154 games they played back then. Every single game. Ball players don't normally do this. They sit out a few games, they get a little injury, they're tired. Him for years in a row. He was nicknamed the Iron Horse because he was so strong and so powerful and nothing ever faced him. Until Hashem showed that I'm in control. And gave the man a disease that's known for how it weakens the body and slowly makes the person non-functional, makes the person debilitated. The name of the disease is named after this all-time great Yankee ball player, Lou Gehrig's disease. Because Hashem every now and then shows all of us Nothing is invincible. Nothing is invincible. And that's the message God is going to send to Pat'o. 
Because Hashem is going to show Paro, you Paro, you're the most powerful man in the world at the time. You control everything. You act like you're godly. I'm going to toy with you. I'm going to show you that the thought that you're invincible is a joke. And now let me bring it back to Sunday. Again, I don't, I'm not saying why Hashem does something. I'm not saying any person deserves anything. I told you it bothered me like it bothered most other people. I cared and I saw interviews and read articles. It fazed me more than it probably should as a rabbi. But I think Hashem sent a little message to the world. Because this particular ball player was unbelievably successful. Not just at playing ball, he was unbelievably graceful, he was very handsome, he had what looked like a great family, he had a tremendous amount of power, a tremendous amount of fame, a tremendous amount of money, he was unbelievably successful at playing basketball, and then very successful at life afterwards. He won an Oscar, he wrote books, he made movies, he seemed to be everywhere. And anyone, and he was all about how he succeeded by himself. It was his hard work, and his tenacious effort, and his fighting mentality, his mamba mentality, as they call it. That mindset, that I can create my world and my life, Hashem every now and then shows us, that's a joke. Because I'm the one who controls the helicopter. And when I'm ready, no one has any power. The Titanic is the image of vulnerability. Lou Gehrig's disease is the example of having no control. And every now and then Hashem sends us examples to show that I am the one who's in control. Because there's a pasuk in Yeshaya that says it best. I look up to the heavens, I put my eyes up to the heavens. And I see the question that we asked before. Me, bara ele. Who created this? I don't understand. I'm perplexed. I'm looking around. Me, ele. That's question once again. What is all of this? And the pasuk concludes. I see that there's a God who put every star in its place and named every star the name that it belongs to it. That put everything exactly where it's supposed to be. You could either look around at the world and say, Me, Ele, with all random things. So I'm going to do, be as powerful as I can be. Or I could look around the world and see Elohim. And see a God who's putting it all together perfectly. Paro had a question. He says the question. Me, Hashem. Who is God? That same word, me. Who? As if I don't understand any of this. God tells Moshe Rabbeinu, here's my goal. Leman shiti, my goal is to place ototai, my miracles, ele bikirbo. I want to put these in him. I want him to understand and see that me and ele go together and create Elohim. And create God. It's not a bunch of random things. They come together as one powerful thing. I'll give you another example. So, I went away for a few days last week. Where is not in point. But I go. I like to go in the middle of nowhere. That's really where I go. That's where I like to go. Literally in the middle of nowhere. So, in the middle of forest and trees and rainforest, whatever. Anyhow, so I'm on this little thing. My wife and I, my kids are in school. 
It works well. Where I work has no school, my kids have school, can't be better. But the truth is, I love my kids, I would have loved to take them. But anyhow, we're going on like these ATVs in the middle of the forest. And we're led by this guy named Randall. He's 25-year-old man, Spanish fellow, Randall. Okay, good. And he's talking, and he's a talkative guy. Okay, good. And now we're going on, and now it's very gorgeous scenery. And now we finally get to this clearing where there's like a brook, really like a running river, downstream river, like maybe as wide as this room. We actually ride the ATVs over the river. And, you know, it's gorgeous. The water is hitting all of the rocks and going all around, up the top and all around the rocks. It's beautiful. So he stops the ATVs, tells us to stop. You know, there's little puddles on the side. We find a clean spot. And he says, hey, let's sit here for a minute. It's a good place to clear your head. Somewhere in this ride, Randall realized that I'm a rabbi. Okay? <laughs> so now he's sitting there. He's looking at the river. I'm standing on the side. He comes over to me. He says, Rabbi, tell me. Why'd she leave me? So we told him, why'd she leave me? Five years we were together. Why'd she leave me? And for another guy, I work hard, I'm a good person, I don't take drugs, I don't take alcohol. Why'd she leave me? I'm like, I'm in the middle of the forest. Why is this? What do I going to tell this guy? Mi heme, Elohim, what am I going to say? So I said, Randall, you see this puddle on the floor? See how the water's still? He says, yeah. He says, yeah. I said, we all want life to look like that. We all want it like that. Just calm and peaceful and stable and secure and still. I said, but the reality is, no matter what you do, life looks like that. I pointed to the brook where the water is rushing down in a million different directions. There are rocks, there are stones, and your life is that. The water has to go up and around. I can't explain why she left. I know that this is how life is. You want it to be still like a, like a little puddle, but the reality is, it's not that way. There's rocks, there's stones, there's stuff all over the place. And I said, but I want you to look at this again. Look at that puddle. What does it look like? It's boring. It's bland. Now look at the river, at the running water. It's gorgeous. I said, that's where the beauty comes from. Either you see it as those stones are these annoying things placed in my life, or you see it as coordinated by God to create beauty in my life. And the mindset you have when you know they're all placed there by Him, is readiness and flexibility to adjust to whatever you need to that's happening around you. And that's the characteristic to me that's critical to life. We all know Hashem puts everything there in the world. But our mentality is everything, every person that's placed, not me, Eleh, it's Elohim. And I'm ready to do what I need to do based on the stone you put in my way. I'm going to figure out how to create beauty. You put a rock here, you put a stone here, you put a big one here, you put two of them together over here, you put a small one over here. Through that whole process, I'm going to create gorgeous waves. I'm going to create powerful flow. I'm going to create something beautiful. I need to be ready because I know it's all Elohim and it's all placed there by Him. I'm a Jew and I believe in you. 
And because of that, I'm ready for whatever you want me to do. That's the mentality. That's the mindset. That's the thought process. When Yaakov is coming towards his brother Esav, and I'm going to explain this more soon. Yaakov is coming towards his brother Esav. And he's coming with all his children. Listen to the words of Esav's question. Esav picks up his eyes. He sees all the wives. And all the children. And he says... And he says, Me, Ele, Lach. Me, Ele. Those same two words. Esav sees these children as just random things. Where these kids come from? Who are these children? You're Yaakov. You ran away as a fugitive. Your life's supposed to be a mess. You ran to some house. My son robbed you of everything you have. What, what, what do you mean? How, where do these kids come from? The answer is, Yaakov's answer is, is that, yes, God put rocks in my river. But I, my job was to pre create beauty with it. And look what he says. He says, these are the children, Asher Hanan Elohim et Avdecha. That they're not me, Eleh, they're Elohim, they're God. They're the beauty we created with the stones that God put in my life. I'm a Jew, and I'm ready for whatever you need me to do. And that's what happened. Yes, I ran away. Yes, I went to a man's house who didn't like me. Yes, I had to work seven years, and then seven years, and then another seven years. But with all those tough things that were in my life, they weren't me and they weren't random, frustrating and annoying things. They came together as a beautiful river that created beautiful things. At the end of the book of Bereshit, <coughs> the Pasuk says that Yosef comes into his father Yaakov with his sons. Rashi says in that pasuk that Yaakov wanted to bless those two children and the Shekhinah left him. It was almost as if he saw these kids weren't supposed to be blessed because their future descendants weren't going to be great. And Yosef prayed and the Shekhinah came back to Yaakov Avinu and he was able to bless these children. And it's all right there in Rashi. But look how it's hinted in the pasuk. Because when the children walk into the house, Yosef. Yaakov Avinu, Yisrael sees the sons of Yosef, Vayomer, and he says, Mi Eleh. Same term. Who are these? Why don't I see God in here? Yosef's response, Vanayim, they're my children, Ashenatanli Elohim. They're from God. They come together as one. They're God. When you live this way, life is very different. Because you're ready for whatever you need to be ready for. Because you know that God is putting stones in the path in a million different ways. That's how it's supposed to be. And you're ready to create beauty. Just like water that's rushing. If it has to go on the side, it goes on the side. If it has to go on top, it goes on top. If it has to go underneath, it goes underneath. If it has to go around and on top and underneath, it does what it has to do. It's ready. I'm going to give you one of the best examples I ever saw of this in a person in my life. That happened less than two weeks ago. His name is Yossi Engel. Yossi Engel is a Hasidish Jew. 
who I met for the first time this way. So last, not this past Shabbat, the Shabbat before, for Shabbat I took my kids to the mountains. Very nice. And Saturday night I was driving back home. If you recall, two weeks ago on Shabbat, it was snow. In the mountains, it was snowing harder. Maybe four to five inches of snow and about 15 degrees. And we're driving home on Route 17. My wife and I were driving a minivan and five of my children are in the back. And as I'm driving, I don't know if I was going a little faster than I should have, I'm not sure, about 50 miles an hour, all of a sudden the car starts to swerve, which has happened to everybody. So you kind of try to go with it and get your car back going. My car wasn't listening to me. So, next thing you know, I completely lost control of the wheel. The car then slid into the side guardrail, then slid back into the road with me of no control, spun around 360, and then around again, and hit the other guardrail, and stopped. I didn't see it that night, but I found out that on exit 113, right over there, the drop on the hill is about 500 feet. I jump out of my car in the snow, I turn around, and I see my kids are okay. I can't believe it. I'm freezing cold, my feet are in the snow. As I jump out of the car, as my wife is saying, Shema Yisrael, all of a sudden, the second that the car hits the side, another minivan pulls up right behind me. And this Hasidish man comes out. Hi, my name is Yossi Engel. I have an empty minivan. Turn off your car, take all of your children, and put them in my car so that they stay warm. I put my kids in the car. He sits there and he waits. He waits for the cops to come, for Hatzalat to come, for me to get two tickets, by the way, <laughs> for the tow truck to come. They then are going to move my car to exit, move me to exit 116 so that the cops can talk to us because they don't want us on the side of the road. It's too scary. <coughs> he follows us to exit 116. He says, oh, by the way, it happens to be, I know we're two hours away from Brooklyn, but I happen to be going to Borough Park. <laughs> he waits an hour and a half for all of these people to come and then drives us home to our door. And I'm like, Hashem, in the same split second that you showed me that I have no control, I can't describe to you what it felt like during those 10 seconds when the car, I'm going to get choked up, when the car is spinning and your thoughts are everywhere that they can be in the world because you have no idea what's going to happen next. And then this car pulls right behind you. When he came out of his car, my wife said, one second, did we hit you? Like, how'd you come off so fast? He says, as the car was spinning, I saw it was a minivan, I figured it was a Jew. Good guess. And he came off, he says, I never drive with an empty minivan in my life. But tonight, it just happens to be that my minivan was empty. Because you know why? My name is Yossi Engel, and I am a Jew. And I believe in you. And so I'm ready for whatever you need me to do. But watching that night, when we were then pulled off to this other exit, and the Hatzalah members, I'm like, there's 10 of them there. And they're joking around my kids, and they're checking every one of them. And I'm like, it's freezing. No, no, it's freezing. 
I'm like, what are they doing? It's a Saturday night. It's 10 o'clock at night. Why are you standing here? Why are you spending time? One of them was on vacation off for the weekend. The other one, like, what are you doing? And you see the power of our people and those that have the mentality that I am ready. What you need me to do, I'm ready to do. So Yossi Angle drives my, me home, me, my wife, all my kids, all, hair, all of my stuff, they drive me home. So on the way home, and I listened to this, I said, Yossi, how are you? What, are you? what do you do? He says, I'm in Bar Park, I, I work in, I said, I live in Bar Park. I said, very nice. He says, we have an organization. I said, what's the organization? I'm a part of an organization called Chesed Drivers. Wow. What do they do? <laughs> this is what they do. If someone has a sick family member in the hospital in the city, they register with Chesed drivers, and they'll, if a person's going to the city anyhow for work, they'll take a family member to the city, to the hospital, so that they can visit a family member. Maybe on the way home, they'll bring someone else back. He says, so I'm one of those drivers. I said, but one second, I need to understand. Where do you live? He says, in Bar Park. I said, where do you work? He says, in Bar Park. I said, one second. So you wake up in the morning, go to pray, drive a person to the hospital, then drive someone else back, and then you go to work? He says, yeah. I said, for free? He says, yeah. I use them. You use them. <laughs> he has, in an average month, between 50 and 80 drives a month. He has a card, they have to have a card. He's already done over 1,200 drives. He works at 11.30 to the rest of the day. Don't ask me how this makes sense. But here's what I know. That there are Jews out there that understand the mentality, mentality of life. Hashem runs the world. He puts the rocks where they're supposed to be. And I'm ready. And just think about it. This man who's part of Chesed Drivers, who's one of their top drivers, is the person that happens to be right behind me on Route 17 in the middle of Jiddi. It doesn't make sense. It's unbelievable. He pulls over with me. My wife really thought we hit him. It didn't make sense. Like It was like unbelievable. They said that I was going faster than I should have been going. Uh, considering the the the, uh, the situation, which maybe they were right, I don't know. My wife says they were wrong, and she would usually side with them if they were right. <laughs> and and then they said my five-year-old in the back back seat wasn't in a car seat; it was only in a seatbelt, not a car seat. And I'm like, I'm glad we called the cops. <laughs> the car wasn't drivable. The car is now not drivable. It was towed back to, to to their stop and then back to Brooklyn and inshallah we'll fix it. It was bashed in the front and bashed in the back because we hit two times. Let me tell you what God did to Parol. You see, when God, and we'll conclude in two, three minutes, or five minutes. In the first seven plagues, God was giving Paro an education. Educating Paro on the fact that there is a God in this world. At the end of those seven plagues, which happens to be the end of last week's parasha, Paro makes a statement that I got it. 
Chatati apam, I sinned. I, I know Hashem HaTzadik, God is righteous. And I am wrong. I know there's a God in the world. He's righteous. I am wrong. He says it. So Paro, what are you doing? Why are you still objecting? The answer is, even though he knows it in his mind, he's still stubborn in his heart. And there's a lot of us that are that way. We all know Hashem put the stones there. But we're stubborn to it. We say we understand it. We say we accept it. But the reality is we don't. Hashem says, so now you're stubborn? Now it's just your ego that won't allow you to accept it? And then won't allow you to adjust to it? And won't allow you to move the way you need to down this river? Now I'm going to play with you. Now I'm going to toy with you so that the world sees that this mentality only fails. This stubbornness and this rejection of feeling Hashem and understanding and believing that Hashem is really everywhere and that my job is to create beauty within it. If you're going to not understand this, I will make sure the world sees and understands it well through you. You're going to be my toy. And the truth is having gone to the hospital a few times with my brother-in-law, that's the attitude they have. Hashem runs this world, and what He's going to do, we're going we're to do our best to have the right attitude and the right understanding, because I'm a Jew and I'm ready. And that mindset at sometimes is so hard, and sometimes it just needs a little switch and an understanding that those rocks are put exactly where they need to be. There's a line we say at the end of Shema, and then I'll give you one last story. The line we say at the end of Shema is, I am Hashem, your God. I am Hashem, your God, that took you out of Egypt to become your God. I am Hashem, your God. One second. The same pasuk starts off with I am Hashem your God and then ends with I am Hashem your God. Why is it saying it twice? The answer is this. The answer is that it first begins with Ani Hashem Elokechem, I am Hashem your God, that did all of those things in the past, that took you out of Egypt, that performed all those miracles, that split the sea, that brought you freedom, that gave you the Torah, that brought you into the land of Israel. I am Hashem your God, that did all of that then. Then. But I'm still Hashem, your God, right now. Ani Hashem Elokechem today. I am Hashem, your God, today. You know why? Because the middle of the Pasuk says it well. Because I took you out of Egypt, liyot lachem, to be for you, le'elokim, to be a God who you see how everything in the world comes together and fits. I'll tell you one last nice little story. I think it's a cute one. And I think you just... One more example where I got to see it. So two weeks ago, I went to Panama for a Siyum Hashas that they made in Panama. Right before I was about to go, someone closed me up and said, you know, someone in Panama, a man in Panama who I happen to know, had passed away, somewhat young. And their custom there is they sometimes do classes in the house. So you're going to speak on Monday night. Can you come and do a class in the middle of the day on Monday to a woman in the house? I said, okay, no problem. He was part of bringing me there once in the past. I'll be honored to do it. There'll be a hundred women there. I'll be honored to do it. I get off the plane. I tell the person who's driving me around that morning what I'm planning to say. He says, this class is not going to work here. 
I went back to the hotel room and had to adjust and create a whole new class. Now I get to the house and I'm speaking. There's a hundred women there and I'm speaking. Now I'm speaking in English. In Panama, most people speak English, but they all speak Spanish. One of the people that are sitting Shiva only speaks Spanish. So a woman sits down right next to one of the women, this woman who only speaks Spanish, and starts translating my class in the middle of the class. Now anyone in this class who comes here often knows me. I don't do good with noise. And now she's translating fairly loud, and I know we're in for the long haul because this is a 40-minute class and I'm never going to start speaking Spanish. So the whole 40 minutes, she's going to be translating. And I'm saying to myself, this is hard. And then I'm saying to myself, but this is obviously what Hashem wants me to do right now. She's one of the people that's mourning. I'm not going to stop. Focus. Do what you can. And give a speech for 40 minutes, knowing that there's going to be noise in the room, disruptive noise in the room the whole time. It was hard. It was tough. But that's what, in a small way, that's what it means to be ready as a Jew. You need to be able to do that then. And here's the cute follow-up. So that night, I was going to speak at the Siyum, which was nice. But as they scheduled the Siyum, it was scheduled very long. There were a lot of different speakers, and then they had a bunch of singers, and there's five, six hundred people in the room, and now I'm supposed to speak, I'm, I was supposed to speak at 8.30, now I'm getting up at 9.15. And right before I get up to speak, as someone's singing, singing in the front, someone comes over to our table and says, I just want you to know, no one in this room is going to be listening. Only this table is going to be paying attention. Good luck, Rabbi. I got up. They dimmed the lights and got started. And for 30 minutes, nobody moved. It wasn't natural. Don't tell me it was because it was a good speech. It was because, and that afternoon, I needed to adjust. And in that night, I got to see how Hashem adjusted back. I got to see how Hashem said, you tolerated noise that wasn't natural for you in the afternoon. I'm going to make quiet that isn't natural for you that night. That's how you need to view the world. That either you look around and you get frustrated, even if your mind knows it, but your heart gets frustrated, or you look around and see Elohim. Because I am a Jew and I believe in you. And I'm ready for whatever you need me to do. Thank you. Thank you.